0: Welcome to the second episode of this special COVID-19 three-part series by the Southern Center for Inequality Studies and Rethinking Economics for Africa. My name is Shaira Kala, I'll be your host as we weave together key insights into the socio-economic effects of this global crisis. In today's episode, we will take a look at how our chronic levels of unemployment and precarity have been worsened in the months since the lockdown. Neoliberal regimes demand that everyone work for wages, never mind that there is not enough work to go around. Dr. Tabang Sefalafala, an economic sociology lecturer at Wits University, explains how economic transactions around work are also social relations that shape how people live.
1: So I think that society is very complex and the economy is one aspect of society. So which is concerned mainly with the distribution of goods and services, distribution of income and wealth. But also the the economy can be understood from a variety of perspectives, including economic liberalism, Keynesianism, and uh, Marxism. And the key role of an economy in any of these perspectives is to meet the basic needs of the society in question. So the economy has a significant bearings on the living conditions of people in a society. So of course, um, that is not to say that the the economy is a neutral thing. And I don't think the economy is neutral. Uh, Rather, it is an ideologically charged and a highly contested location of power. Uh, where different social groups, depending on their interests and ideologies, launch various battles to sway the economy in the direction of their own interests. The interaction between society and the economy um, is a very intimate one. And I think that the COVID-19 crisis has made this even more explicit.
0: In South Africa, Two out of three people are employed in the services industry, one of the most affected by the pandemic. Hairdressers, bartenders, domestic workers and gig economy workers, for example, have been incredibly hard hit by the lockdown regulations. We have also seen a huge decrease in the sale of goods that South Africa imports or exports, as countries around the world have closed their borders in an attempt to control the spread of the virus. This drop in economic activity will mean less jobs. South Africa's rising unemployment rate has just had a fire lit under it, and it is set to skyrocket. Dr. Sefalafala has a deep understanding of this
1: challenge. The key issue with unemployment is poverty, but um, that's one of the things that I'm contesting. There are more issues around the question of unemployment beyond the question of money. Firstly, I think that unemployment (laughs) itself is a deep social problem so it's not just an economic problem but it's also a very deep social problem and so often we talk about unemployment we we focus on statistics and income rather than on the sociological implications and so we often think that the main challenge with unemployment is that it causes poverty which of course it does but that can't be the main challenge and and i I'm arguing that nothing can be further from the truth. It's not entirely true that um, poverty is the main problem to unemployment. is precisely because I don't think that poverty is, is a unique problem facing the unemployed. Given the rise of the precariat and the working poor, we can see immediately that um, more and more people that are working still remain poor, right? So the, the, the rise of precarity and the working poor has shown us more and more that you can work and still remain poor. There is a different and more unique problem that unemployment brings forward. It's a problem of moral exclusion. It's a problem of moral exclusion in the sense that in a wage-based society like the one that we live in in South Africa, unemployment appears as an abrogation um, to the hegemonic moral discourse that says that one needs to have a job in order to be a meaningfully contributing member of society. So what unemployment presents to us is not just economic exclusion, but also a very serious form of moral exclusion that is beyond income and poverty. They experience a social exclusion, which is about the inability to participate in a hegemonic discourse. So you're excluded from the hegemonic discourse and, and you experience that as a kind of enemy obviously, unemployment also affects the way in which people see themselves as fully human or as human beings of value to their society. So, for instance, in in my PhD work, what came apparent was that unemployment had the capacity to, to deform the ways in which people experience their bodies. So having participated in wage work and having had a particular relation to the body as a productive body, exclusion from unemployment means that the same body that was at the center of production has now been rendered Uh, almost redundant, obsolete, and irrelevant to society. So it it has those massive psychosocial implications. And I think also the question of stigma comes up quite a lot. And interestingly, the fact that unemployment is so widespread does not um, uh, reduce the the stigma that is associated with, with unemployment.
0: The struggle to create jobs has a long history in South Africa, spanning back to apartheid, but has continued to be a structural or permanent feature of our society. Stigma, depression, and social exclusion then too become ingrained features constructed into our torn social fabric.
1: Maybe the last uh, thing I can mention about the, the problems that arise in unemployment has to do with... the the traditional ideas of masculinity. And what keeps on coming up is that traditional masculinity is anchored around having a job. So once a person doesn't have a job, um, there's new kinds of uncertainties that emerge. You find that men who For a very long time, I'm talking about ex-mine workers, for instance, who had bought into this idea that to be a man means being a breadwinner. In unemployment, suddenly they can't fulfill that breadwinning um, uh, role. And unfortunately, new conceptions of masculinity that are not based on wage work have not yet emerged beyond that i think that the, we should not misread the the needs of the unemployed as only concerned with income and poverty and um, so i asked the unemployed if if the government was to give you a grant would that solve your problem and the answer that they gave had two parts one they said yes a grant would um, enable me to put bread and butter on the table. But it will not resolve the problem of wanting to earn money. So it was clear that they understood wage work as having a particular dignity to it that grants will simply not be able to provide.
0: In understanding the gender dynamics of unemployment and the South African social security system, it's worth noting that 96% of child grant beneficiaries are women, and studies show that the child support grant enhances women's power over household financial matters and child well-being. Oxfam reports that the combined wealth of the world's 22 richest men is more than the wealth of all the women in Africa, and that the monetary value of unpaid care work globally for women older than 15 is at least $10 trillion annually. That is three times the size of the world's tech industry. On top of unequal economic opportunities for women, patriarchy in South Africa and the world over underpins horrific levels of gender-based violence that has increased by 500% since the start of the lockdown. Professor Cornel West speaks of the Black Lives Matter movement as an indictment of neoliberal power. Around the world, states are questioning their stance on the highly interconnected nature of our globalized world. Others question the dependence of economic growth on violent control through exploitation and structural racism. Neoliberalism, which has been on review across the political spectrum since the 2008 financial crisis, has now been completely undermined as the international economic doctrine crumbles under the weight of the COVID-19 crisis. But how has COVID-19 been a catalyst for this? Well, let's take a look. The first premise of neoliberalism is increased competition through deregulation and opening up domestic markets to competition across international financial and labor markets. The second premise is a smaller state. What this has meant in practice in most countries is higher interest rates, low wages, little protection, and small government budgets, all in the name of attracting often short-term international investment. For a country like South Africa, the influence of neoliberal policies has increased inequality, unemployment, and precarious work. But this is not unique to South Africa. It is also the case in some of the wealthiest countries in the world.
1: What we still need to look at and understand much deeper is the actual everyday lived experience of inequality. How inequality shapes social relations in communities, in families, on a day-to-day basis, and how inequality threatens or undermines, um, you know, uh, peaceful coexistence among people.
0: Linford Dor from the Casual Workers Advice Office gives a macro and historical take on this.
2: This is a pandemic that is a is a direct result of imperialist expansionism, for lack of a better term, uh, under the era of neoliberalism, where there's been a massive transfer of production to like to third world countries. And in that context, agribusiness is basically responsible for the sort of rapid human encroachment on, on nature. And as the scientists are telling now, us now, that's where these viruses emerge from. So the pandemic itself, the actual virus it, itself is a res- is result of, of, of neoliberal capitalism. And then the social crisis and the inability of, of states all across the world to respond to the pandemic is, is likewise a result of decades of neoliberal restructuring uh, through privatizations, attacks on welfare, and attacks on workers' rights. So our response was, was to to take a political position to say the UIF is workers' savings and shouldn't be used for a crisis that is a result of, of neoliberal policy, basically. And I think we're not immune to... To it in South Africa, all over the world, it's the working class that's clearly being told to to pay the cost of the crisis. I think bef- got, before this crisis emerged, it, it it became more and more clear that there's different tiers of workers in the country. There's the, the sort of permanent workers with union jobs, then there's a, the precarious workers. Uh, some of those workers that Carl tries to organize, and then even below them, in the same factories, are a layer of of uh, often a layer of foreign workers, migrant workers from other countries.
0: The Minister of Finance, Mr. Tito Mboweni, spoke about a new economy which prioritizes South Africans, implying that our high unemployment rates are due to foreign migrants. This isn't the first time that one of our leaders have flirted with the xenophobic explanations for chronic structural unemployment.
1: Any establishment wanting to reopen, must have a new labor market policy, which prioritizes South Africans, but does not discriminate against the or malawans. But the proportion of South Africans working in a restaurant must be greater than that of non-South Africans. That's a new economy that we're talking about.
2: Well, these workers just won't be given contracts because they might not be uh, here legally. So there's this layer of, of workers, and, 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 at the best of times there's a division between workers it's it's in in the within a factory for example permanent workers often look at at labor broker workers as people who are threatening their jobs and then those labor broker workers would then look down on on the migrant workers and foreign workers as people who are threatening their jobs because they can take an even lower wage so there's there's always those levels of division but at the same time there's at the same time, there's also possibilities for, for, for unity. When, when, a, when a minister or politicians instigate and try and wedge a, a divide between different workers, it becomes more and more difficult to organize across those divides. But I think working class organizations have to do that. There's always that possibility for solidarity.
1: precarity is not an event. Precarity is a process. And precarity is a process that involves systematic and deliberate production of insecurity and uncertainty in the world. In that every way that we look in the world, more and more people feel increasingly fearful marginalized insecure and that they there are multiple and interconnected crises if we look at the environment it's being destroyed if you look at inequality it's reaching unprecedented levels you look at poverty it's getting worse Um, on the other side the there has been Uh, fragmentation when it comes to labor movements um, and uh, worker rights increasingly being uh, encroached upon. So it seems that we're living in a time of heightened insecurity and uncertainty. The idea of precarity is that it tries to give an account of how life has become under neoliberal globalization.
0: It almost feels as if we know that this is the status quo, but have not come to articulate it in the way that we speak about and understand class. What is the precariat and how should we understand precarity?
1: The the one that's provided by uh, sociologists and economists like Guy Standing who talk about precarity as primarily concerned with employment insecurity Then you've got uh, other people that uh, go beyond employment and talk about um, double precariousness, which is a concept that explores precarity as constituted by the interaction between the workplace and the household. In other words, as soon as employment becomes precarious, the household also becomes precarious. And then there's another view that uh, talks about precarity as a contrast between labor market insecurity on the one hand and the promise of wage work to deliver a dignified life for all. And if you look at all these three understandings of precarity, I think that all of them are applicable in the sense that that they are concerned with how uncertainty and insecurity has become pervasive in the global economic system. They were experiencing this before COVID-19 in the sense that we have been seeing a an increase in unemployment over the last few years, and what's interesting about that is that the the people that are beginning the the, the, the discouraged work seeker that category seems to be um, increasing. the The question of precarity is is one that is quite serious for, for everyone, whether a person is unemployed or employed, neoliberalism is taking us into a direction where life itself, it's no longer just the job, but life itself is so uncertain. Um, so it's it's a kind of existence where you know, the, the sense of security that people could talk about maybe 20 years ago is no longer there.
0: Frankly, this is frightening, but it is not a new problem. And while there is no silver bullet, there are ways to address it. Dr. Sefalafala outlines some of these.
1: One, I think that the COVID-19 crisis has resuscitated an old age problem. And this is the problem of a fragmented social security system. So now more than ever, we are realizing that South Africa desperately needs a comprehensive social security system that covers or gives people a basic or minimum level of security. Secondly, I think that going forward, we'll need to rethink job guarantee schemes or uh, programs linked to the question of, of precarity is the question of technology and automation. The way that it's being discussed at the moment, for me, really links back to the discourse of insecurity, that technology is being used as a scary cat. We'll still need to think about how to redistribute the profits that will be generated uh, by automation and robots. And possibly those profits uh, could be taxed. There are old arguments about this as well that they could be taxed to fund a basic income grant. So I think we'll need to come back to those old conversations around uh, robot taxes and so on so that uh, they can contribute to the kitty to provide for a basic income grant. So you find people rejecting. Um, the idea that a basic income grant will uh, necessarily solve their problem. it will only solve the income aspect of it, but not the the uh, value the um, ideas around wage work which are so central to how they imagine their lives. I do think that we we're going to have to Um, you know, just think about the comprehensive social security system in addition to job creation. So this is not to say that we need to forget about jobs or we need to sideline jobs. It's just to say that we should think about the relationship between the economy and society beyond wages. The potential of the crisis is that it can lead to a much more equal society than we had before, because it has highlighted the need to take seriously new mechanisms of income redistribution beyond employment. What we're beginning to see is that we will need to rethink the relationship between income and work. Because currently we know that we will not be able to create jobs uh, tomorrow or next month or even in the next five months will not be able to resolve the problem of unemployment. So the crisis is now forcing us to take seriously um, income redistribution that is not directly linked to, to job creation. So that in itself may begin to lead to a much more equal society.
0: As Thomas Piketty says, The history of inequality is shaped by the way economic, social, and political actors view what is just and what is not, as well as by the relative power of those actors and the collective choices that result. It remains to be seen what our collective choices will be. In part three, we will look at the relative power of some of the actors in our society Exploring macroeconomic and political economy issues that will shape South Africa's response.
1: Kusini is a Kiswahili term meaning South. Kusini is the media initiative of SCIS, the Southern Center for Inequality Studies, a research and policy center based at the University of the Witwatersrand in Johannesburg, South Africa. The SEIS is an interdisciplinary inequality research unit working with partner institutions in South Africa and across the world with a focus on the global south. Thank you for listening to KUSINI, a media initiative of SEIS. For more about us and our work, please follow us on Twitter at vits underscore SCIS. And our website is www.vits.ac.za forward slash SCIS. This episode is available on IONO FM and other podcast channels.